Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. In fact, it is the last episode of season three. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Danny, and I cannot wait to get into today's episode because it is very fitting for this time of year. We are going to be talking about money and why you should worry your pretty little head about it. But before we get started, a few housekeeping things. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing that goes for your normal weekly episodes as well as the postpartum pieces series that airs every Wednesday. If you haven't been back through the archives now is a perfect time to do it over the Christmas break. I do encourage you to take a look because we've interviewed some amazing mamas. If you haven't done so already please make sure you leave me a rating and a review so you can let other listeners know what they're in for and if you're over on the gram please jump onto at mummy republic podcast so that you can follow along previous episodes, current episodes, and all things motherhood. So without further ado, let's create a social faux pas and have a chat about that taboo subject of money. Today's mama is the definition of a ball juggler. She raises three tiny humans while studying and dominates in the fast-paced world of finance. And she's here today to share some tricks of the trade Welcome to the beautiful Kim Hope. How are you doing? What an intro. Thank you. I know. You can, You should put that on your LinkedIn. <laughs> can I? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. So we're going to, before we get into talking about the serious stuff, which is finance, and I know that you're really passionate about this when it comes to educating women, and I love that you've agreed to do this for me, but I want to talk about you a little bit. Where did this start? Because you're a financial planner. Did you always see yourself in this profession? No, I sort of ended up here by accident, but it was very fortuitous because looking back, I really and honestly can't imagine doing anything else. And I absolutely love what I do. I think I've definitely been shaped a lot of my, from my experiences as a child and mm-hmm. watching my wonderful single mom struggle. She's a, an amazing human who's always been a midwife and cares for other people but she has never really felt like she understood money or like perhaps women should be in control of the household finances. So Mm. uh, that was something that always stressed her out. Um, And as a young child, I would, I would watch that and I was determined not to do that. So I was obsessed with learning as much as I could to, I guess, get in control of it. Mm. Well, you certainly did that. (laughs) So how do you, for anybody who's not familiar, how do you become a financial planner? Well, um, these days you can actually just go and do a degree, which is fantastic. That didn't exist when I started. Um, And of course, the theory is very important. The rules are very important. Um, But honestly, financial planning is a 
a little bit about numbers and a lot about people. Mm. So the relationships that you develop with your clients is the absolute most important thing. And money can be an intensely uncomfortable thing for people to talk about. Mm -hmm. So you have to be the sort of person that can really understand people's um, fears and concerns and get that out of them along with their goals and then persuade them to be able to plan for it. So Yes, you need to do the study, but a whole heap of being good with people and then a lot of on-the-job training, I think, is really important before you could try and tell someone what to do with their life savings. Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing too as a financial planner to be conscious that you know everybody's so different, their goals are so different, and you're going to formulate a strategy to sort of align with that. As a consumer, that can be quite scary. So... I guess, you know, if you were to refer to someone who's in their 30s, they've got children, they're not really sure what they're doing with their finances, where would you even start in terms of planning? Well, you know, that sort of life stage, which is where we're both at at the moment, yep. um, I often say to people, this is probably the most expensive time in your life. There's a <laughs> lot of different competing yes. priorities going on. Um, and it's okay to just kind of be keeping your head above water, but Mm -hmm. just sitting down and carving out the time to go, where are we actually at now? Um, what have, what commitments have we got going on so that then you can start to plan the future? Mm -hmm. How much planning do you do in terms of your own finances? Like, (laughs) I mean, I was awake for three hours last night and I probably spent (laughs) at least an hour of it thinking about how quickly my mortgage will be paid off. (laughs) Uh, look, I think about it really, really regularly, but that mm. kind of goes with the trade. Yeah. Um, I often say to people that it shouldn't, you shouldn't need to do that with your own finances. What you should be able to do is work out where you're trying to get to and where you are now, and then build a plan so that you know if all you do is on, is. <laughs> is what's on that plan you will get there and then you can forget about it Mm -hmm. just review it once a year in terms of habits and we were touching on this earlier I think a lot of us sort of miss that education when we're younger in terms of how to budget you know how to understand finance how to understand credits we basically at the mercy of whoever's advertising to us at the time when it comes to creating good habits do you have a few that you would start off as a key suggestion for clients absolutely um one of the tricky things about 2020 which is sort of a pro or a con (laughs) depending on how you look at it is that everything's on our phone at the moment stan Mm. netflix dan murphy's uber eats Tap, 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 tap. It's really easy to spend money without actually going to a shop or pulling out a wallet. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, the first thing I always say to everybody is just try and get in, in control of your cash flow and not let it control you. And that starts with just sitting down and actually doing a thorough audit of what are you spending? Not what do you think your budget is? Everyone will write down, this is my phone bill. This is my health insurance. I'm talking about the discretionary spending where if you look at your bank account statement, you'll see 17 references for the coffee shop last week. Well, that's my bank account statement anyway. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) And that's okay. You've got to be able to sit down and see where you're spending your money and what what a comfortable lifestyle means to you before Mm -hmm. you can start going and stripping things out. 
again, another thing I say all the time is I see people often set themselves up for failure by um, just trying to live off brown rice and tuna. That's not it's not going to work. It's like waking up after doing no exercise and deciding to run a marathon the next day. That's, that's not how it works. It's about really understanding what you value spending money on mm-hmm. and making sure you've allowed room for that in your budget and that everything else works too. Mm, I love that because if you don't set yourself realistic expectations, that's where you give up and you fail and you go, this is too hard. I'm not, I'm not going to work on this anymore because I just it's not in align with my lifestyle so with that mentality in mind does that mean you would start smaller when it comes to saving and then build up or what's the strategy there absolutely just creep in increments yeah. people I often see this with credit cards mm-hmm. people will try and target paying off their credit card which is a great thing to do by the way but instead of saying all right well I will make an extra repayment this month, they'll say, I'll just put $1,000 this week on the credit card. And the reality is they can't do that without going and re-spending 990 of that on the credit card. (laughs) So what would be better would be for them to go, okay, well, I have got an extra $50 or $10 or whatever it is that you genuinely have spare and starting with that and maintaining it without having to dip into it. The same thing with savings. If you can save $10 and that's all you can save, that's better than saving 1000 and then using 1000 again. Mm. So I guess the mentality would be to put the money aside and try not to touch it. Absolutely. Mm. And once that's comfortable, then you can push it a bit further. Yeah, I love that. That's so much more achievable. <laughs> what about credit cards though? What are your thoughts on them? It's my personal mission in life to get rid of as many credit cards <laughs> as possible. And I did learn that the hard way. Yeah. I, when I was younger, I was working in financial planning, not as a financial planner. Um, I had all of the knowledge at my fingertips and I had a small credit card with a limit that was less than my paycheck at the time. And yet I was always a fortnight behind. I did that. I paid, I'll put most of my paycheck on it and then I'll use most of it to spend again. Mm -hmm. And it was this revolving line of credit that I actually just could never get in front of. So I cut it up and then I couldn't spend on it. I just was paying it down. Because you've got good willpower. (laughs) Well, now it, if, if there's something that I really want, it hurts to buy it. Yeah. And that's a concept I'm really a fan of. So often talk about my Thermomix. Yes, I'm a cult member. (laughs) Um, And it is, for those of you that don't know, about a $2,000 purchase. Mm. And I went to a Thermomix party, as we've, all of us with a Thermomix have done. (laughs) And I went home and I said to my husband, I really want to buy a Thermomix. And he was like, no. And I was like, yes, he was, no, I was like, yes, there's three mountain bikes in the garage that tell me I can go and buy them today. (laughs) Anyway, after I got my way, (laughs) naturally, (laughs) of course, that was always going to happen. I told him about this interest-free deal that they had on at the time. So we could just pay off, I don't know, it was $40 a week or a fortnight or something like that. And it'd be paid off in two years. And it was fantastic. And what he did, I'm so grateful for because it really shaped the way I think about money and discretionary spending. He said, no, 
if you want it, buy it with the cash that we've got in the bank because it'll hurt. And it made me stop and pause and think, oh, that took me ages to save at the time. Mm -hmm. That would really hurt to watch that disappear from my bank account. And ultimately I waited up and decided a couple of days later that yes, actually I did value the Thermomix enough to part with the money. Um, and that's great. And now I'm very happy that I had that purchase, but what it meant was that pause is the important thing because mm. it makes you weigh up whether you value it. And it's not about not spending money. It's about making sure that you're consciously spending money, which is your hard earned time on the things that you value. Oh God, you just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> it's so true though, because it is so easy. And, uh, and this is actually a great segue because we're in a world now where it is at our fingertips and you've got things like Afterpay and Zip Pay that literally break it down to you. So instead of seeing, you know, $80, we're seeing a much smaller figure and mentally we're going, well, that's nothing. I can afford that. But you replicate that over a number of different purchases and it's a very different story. As a financial planner, what's your view in that space? I'm very much not a fan of afterpay or credit cards for exactly those same reasons. And to me, it's almost akin to saving up for an amazing holiday and then going over and enjoying the holiday of a lifetime versus just getting a personal loan, going and having a holiday and then paying it off over the next four or five years. Mm -hmm. That's a lot less enjoyable, I think. A hundred percent. And I, again, I don't talk a lot about my career, but that's something that you see quite commonly. People will borrow money for holidays and bits and pieces because it's great because you get it up front, but then it's the aftermath that is quite concerning. When it comes to things like saving for a mortgage for example you said to start in small increments what happens when you get to the point where you've got the mortgage there's a lot of different views on how to you know look at reducing that mortgage or how you should then shape your budget what's your view well I think it's really important to make sure you balance all the things in the budget and you do leave yourself room to be able to enjoy today because mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but as a general rule, and I can't give any advice without no, putting no. it in writing. General advice, um, not personal. But as a general rule, I think it's a great thing to be able to at least get ahead on your mortgage. Yeah. Um, and that might be by just rounding up the repayment to the next $100 or something like that each month. Um, I personally have this um, kind of bizarre habit, <laughs> which is that I have to get my mortgage down to an even number. Oh my God, I've got the exact same habit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a finance thing. What a, what a pack of weirdos. I actually, it, it was a client of mine that had, I think he had about 30 different accounts with cash in them and they all had to be like even 10,000. So he'd just open new ones and there was always one account that had all the leftover dribs and drabs. And now with wow. debts, I have to do that. It has to be a really clean number. Yep. And as soon as the interest goes on each month, I just immediately go on and transfer the $7.39. <laughs> but all of that time passes so quickly. And mm. if you are just taking little tiny incremental steps each pay or each period, it really does add up. Mm. Time is absolutely the single biggest factor in any financial plan. It's not what you're earning or how low your mortgage is or how much you can save. It's the amount of time that you have 
to make sensible little tweaks. It's so true though. There's, I think there's a lot of pressure to first get the house and then it's that mentality of, oh, I've got to pay the house off. It's, it feels like we're always moving the goalposts. There are obviously little things that you can do with your mortgage to help reduce it faster. And one that I used to always tell my clients was, once a week, um, make your repayments as opposed to monthly because mm-hmm. you're consistently reducing the interest on that mortgage and it will help you pay it off quicker. Yep. Do you have any other hacks that you generally suggest for clients? And again, general advice. Yes, there's no personal <laughs> advice here, people. Um, look, I personally, myself, am a fan of a redraw as opposed to an offset. Ah, I love that. Yes. So effectively they're going to achieve the same outcome in that it's going to reduce the amount of interest you pay on the balance that you have owing. But kind of like with after paying credit cards and valuing what you're spending money on, for me, an offset account is just a bank account full of cash and it's really tempting to go and buy the shiny thing. (laughs) Whereas a redraw, it makes you stop and pause. It's an effort to go and take that money back out. And then also it hurts because you see the mortgage go back up. I literally just did this last week and I've had, we're doing lots of renos at our house at the moment. And I have had probably seven different occasions over the last year where I've thought, oh, it'd be so much more comfortable just to increase the redraw by an extra two grand just to be able to um, give that little bit of buffer. And I've, I've not done it six times because it was just enough of a detrimental mental sort of feeling Mm. that I found another way. And it was only just recently that I had to pay for the laundry cabinetry that I went in and did it. So I think those little tiny psychological things, just the human factor of controlling your cash flow, if you can have things just neatly working for you and you have to pause when you make a decision, then you're probably going to make good choices. I love that. I love the pausing. I think that we don't do that enough because, again, it's the accessibility of everything. Mm -hmm. It's too easy to just go, oh, it'll be fine or just tap and go or click on the side of your phone and you've made that purchase. We were talking before around, you know, in the space of women and women in finance is not a large number. Actually, do you want to throw those stats at me around financial planning? Yeah, I think it's about 20% of the industry at the moment are female. Which is crazy because, again, as we were talking about, a lot of women are the decision makers in the household when it comes to finance. And that's not all the time. But you know, I think there's a, a big space where we're underestimated. When it comes to women, we, we are probably the ones who have the most changes if we just decide to start a family. You know, we're the ones who go on maternity leave, we step away from our careers, perhaps we don't go back or we go back part-time. How does that impact our finances and, and how can we try and, I guess, mitigate that massive change? I've seen a whole heap of different scenarios because each household is different. I mean, the first thing I really, really want to drive home is that women should worry their pretty little heads about this. Mm. You absolutely can do this. And you are so right in nearly, well, in most cases, even my male colleagues agree, the women are the decision makers, even if they're not the ones asking the questions or doing all of the talking, they seem to be the ones that give the yay or nay. Mm. When, uh, you know, I've seen a couple that uh, were both actually quite high income earners. And um, (laughs) when she went on maternity leave, he was transferring 
a wage to her <laughs> and she'd actually go in and transfer it back. <laughs> but he was trying to contribute to her. They had separate financial plans to her financial um, independence because he saw it as a joint thing that their household had one of them on maternity leave. But I think it's just about not giving up and not forgetting and maybe working together to figure out how it all makes sense. Mm. And I think it is probably just that education piece that we don't need to be scared of asking for help or that guidance because Mm -hmm. it is scary and it is unknown and you might have a plan and things might go in a different direction. What are the most common, and I don't want to say mistakes because I think, you know, unless you're completely educated in this space, you kind of just doing the best you can with the information that you have. But is there a common theme that you see clients come in and you go, okay, well, this is what we need to correct or this is the path we need to reset? Is there anything that you often see? The absolute number one is just putting their head in the sand. Mm. Because I think if you are actively trying to pay attention and educate yourself and be somewhat in control of what's going on in your finances, then you're probably going to figure it out Um rather than just kind of hoping for the best. Mm. So I'd probably say putting your head in the sand would be number one. Number two would be just not planning for the future Mm -hmm. because, again, time is the biggest factor. There will never be a time when you suddenly go, oh, well, the cash flow coming through is just really know what to do with it just keeps piling up that just doesn't happen you adjust your um your lifestyle and time passes so quickly I can't tell you the amount of people that have walked in in their 50s or 60s and said I really wish I'd have done this sooner mm. And I think too, in our 30s or 40s, we tend to not think about things like retirement because we are in the thick of mortgages and kids and schooling and pregnancy and all that kind of jazz that we put it off. But it is something that we do need to start being conscious of, right? And the tiny incremental $10 savings, those little steps absolutely will add up over the long term. If you start thinking just one thought of the future about your retirement when you're 20 or 30, it'll probably cost you $10 a week to achieve what the person in their 50s is going to need to sacrifice maybe $1,000 a week for Mm. to get to the same outcome. I always say planning for your future, it shouldn't be like tightening your belt and eating brown rice and tuna. It should just be a few tweaks so that you can enjoy your lifestyle and know that the future is on track. And again, it just comes down to, particularly in your 30s, it's an expensive time of life. If you can just make sure you're moving forward, even incrementally, each pay, that's great. Mm. Might be the mortgage is just getting a little bit less paid off. Might be that you're saving a little bit harder. Whatever it is, any movement at all forward is better than standing still or going backwards. I think too, we get really concerned when it comes to getting advice that, you know, somebody like yourself is going to sit down and say, you've got to change everything or, you know, you're going to get judgment. Yeah. Going to get slapped across the wrist for going, no, you're not doing everything right. But that's not the case. Is it? Yeah. Look, a lot of people feel really uncomfortable. I'd say the majority of clients. So the first 20 minutes of all of my meetings are pretty well the same. I spend the time just getting a bit of a picture of their current situation, the client's cash flow, um, assets, liabilities, all that sort of thing. 
And there definitely seems to be this point where everyone's leaning forward on the chair and they, they can, I can see them holding their breath, waiting for me to comment on whether I think they've done great or terrible. Everybody thinks that everyone else is in a better position and everyone else gets it. Most people are doing perfectly okay, doing the best they can. And particularly if you get there early enough, um, it's just a matter of arranging things to, to make sure you're on track. So financial planners certainly aren't there to criticize or ridicule any mistakes that have been made. They're there to be able to help and support, educate and guide you to make sure that you're on track for whatever you value. Yeah, and look, if you are getting that sense, I think realistically you're probably in the wrong financial planning office, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I say to lots of people that it is an intensely personal relationship. Mm. So I often encourage new clients coming in to go and chat with a few different financial planners because people resonate with different styles. Yes. And it's much better if you feel comfortable with whoever you're putting your faith in. Um, and you should also be able to understand everything they're saying. Mm. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. <laughs> and the, it is a partnership. They're there to educate and guide you not to do it for you. Don't let them ever think that you shouldn't be worrying about the specifics of your own situation. Mm, that's a really good point because I think, you know, in the industry in particular, there's been a lot of changes in terms of education and accreditations and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the people who are in these roles are there for a reason and they've worked hard to be there, but it all comes down to who you resonate with. Yeah. I think that's the same in any kind of profession. You know, doctors are exactly the same. I think, again, a lot of times with financial planners or anybody in the finance industry, we tend to put them on a bit of a pedestal and feel like we're going into the principal's office to humanize you just that little bit more. You spoke about your credit card before, but is there any financial mistake that you've made or something that you look back on and go, oh, I wish I didn't do that? That's a really good question. Actually, yeah, there's one that I can think of when... When my husband and I um, first got together, we bought a house. Uh, we had we had such a tiny little mortgage now. It, it was seemed so massive at the time, but now I look back on it and think fondly about what that would be like. <laughs> um, and we lived in that house for four or five years and then we decided we'd move out because it was too small for our growing family and we would rent. And because it was an investment property, I felt I knew for sure it would make sense to keep it interest only so that I could keep the tax deduction as high as possible. And that decision I don't disagree with, but I didn't do anything with the extra money I would have otherwise paid on the principal. Yeah. So that's something we see a lot and it's perfectly fine Again, can't give you any advice without putting it in writing, but it's fine to keep investment good debt as high as possible while you're working and earning as long as you're doing something with the rest of the repayment that you would otherwise be putting on it if it was principal and interest. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good... I've been in that position myself too. Yeah. And it is, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, but again, that's why we need to have these conversations so that you can learn because... People tend not to talk about money Mm. and, you know, it's one of those things again as a female, unless you're perhaps in the industry or you take a vested interest in it, 
there are a number of females who don't know what's going on in their own finances Mm -hmm. and that's fine if that works for you but it is important to educate yourself at least so you have an understanding of what's going on for you as a mother and we touched on this before have you done anything quite early to start educating your children around money and learning the importance and value of them yeah this is an interesting conundrum we were just talking about because my eldest daughter has just started asking really specific questions about (laughs) how much our house is worth and how much I earn at work and how much daddy earns at work one thing I am trying to do and I by the way I have not figured it out all yet (laughs) as soon as I figured it out I'm writing a book yes Um, good good (laughs) um But I do try and talk about it more. I really dislike that money is so taboo. Mm. I feel like if as a society we talked about it and discussed it more freely, we'd probably learn from each other and learn from each other's mistakes and make better decisions. And also not feel the intense shame that comes with it. People feel ashamed if they don't have enough money. People feel ashamed and guilty if they have more than enough money it's quite amazing to see the amount of stress that's carried even for people who are really financially comfortable but I think that the first thing is just normalizing it and discussing it so I talk about the cost of the Pokemon cards that my son wants and I talk about the cost of the afternoon tea that my daughter wants and just sort of explain to her that you just can't have everything all the time just because you want it but I haven't quite figured out yet how to tackle (laughs) those specific questions because I don't really want her going around the playground talking about it as if that's what we value it's not it's the freedom and the control and the lifestyle that we can have that comes with it absolutely I think and it is it's that hard mix because Children don't understand, they don't have those societal pressures, right? They don't understand that money is taboo or they don't understand that perhaps, you know, somebody else in the playground, their mum and dad might not work or whatever the case may be. So it is difficult. Have you started them on any kind of saving structure? We've got piggy banks Mm -hmm. and if they want something, you know, reasonably big ticket, Um, we'll encourage them to save up for it and then go and take them to spend on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting already to see them pull out the piggy bank and count the money and see that if they have a little bit more, well, it's going to take most of their piggy bank if Mm. they buy that thing. Mm. So I think that that in a sense is working in that they're doing that pause. Do I really value that toy? Or do I just want to buy a lower cost toy so that I can have some more savings in the piggy bank? Yeah. I love that pause. That's such a good, you should pop that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. That's my thing lately. <laughs> I think we should just have some, or a t-shirt or something. Um, and, and, you know, again, we were chatting offline. I think we definitely need, there needs to be more done in the space of education for children and money. And I think that's both from a primary and high school level. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? You touched on before around I should write a book and I think personally you absolutely should. But where do you go from here in terms of trying to, I guess, spread the education and help women in finance? I uh, was previously running some financial education workshops aimed specifically at women Mm -hmm. um, and I'm starting them again next year, which is great. I really enjoyed that. And um, for me it was... The intention was to create a safe space to ask a silly question. Of course, we know there's no silly questions, but just to get people to start 
feeling like they can do this mm-hmm. and like they can ask questions and hold an intelligent conversation about money. So that's really important for me. I definitely one day will write a book <laughs> um, and, uh, and just, I think, continue to spread as much of the word as I can with some speaking gigs and some podcasts. And um, of course, one day I'll figure out how to become an Instagram influencer and have more than 447 followers on the page that I have at the moment that I occasionally post to. <laughs> well, I'll pop all your details in the show notes so people can follow along. But I think it it is, you know, we, we joke around Instagram and the power of social media, but that's how we can start to have these conversations. And that's, I think, how we can open up breaking through that stigma of it's okay to talk about money and it's okay to be curious and it's okay to want to put your head in the sand, but there's a way out of that from a mother perspective obviously you've got this intense career you've got study on top of that as well and I'm a huge mum life balance advocate even though it's very hard to achieve at times but what is it something that you do to reconnect with that person that you were before kids pre-kim I definitely have my fair share of being social butterfly mm-hmm. My kids are getting to an age where I'm really enjoying spending time with them, probably for the first real time without the physical exhaustion of having to like physically care for the little one. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love what I do. I love the organization I work for. I love going to work. I love seeing clients and I love seeing them reach their goals. I honestly feel blessed and happy to be able to have that balance. There's nothing in my life that I wish wasn't there. I just wish that I could pause time sometimes because I love everything. There's just a bit much volume of Mm. everything. Finding time to actually fit it all in and take a breath sometimes is difficult. Mm. That's good though. I think that's really important. I think particularly in today's society, we're getting a lot better at that understanding that you know some women have you know are fulfilled being a mum and having a career you know it's not something that has to run parallel it can be something that just works well together Mm -hmm. so that's for you you enjoy your career and that's how you've kept that part of you while being a mum which is awesome it's and it's not you know it's not for everyone and I don't think there's a right or wrong everyone has an individual situation and and family makeup but I from time to time do have a lot of guilt that I'm often at work and I'm not, you know, my elder daughter in particular doesn't understand why I'm not taking all of the holidays off to spend with her because mm. other mums do. Yeah. But part of me thinks that at least I'm showing my daughters and my son that you can have it all if you want it. Yeah. It's not easy and it's not for everyone and that's okay too, but don't ever let anyone tell you you have to choose. Mm. oh what a final statement to go out on (laughs) I think it's so true it's so important and that's where you know you have to run your own race and focus on what works for you and your own family because everybody is so different and what we value is different as well but thank you so much for joining me I'll put all of your details into the show notes and you can follow Kim over at Miss Money Penny but thank you again I think you've provided such a good insight and when it comes to finances it's just the biggest thing is to take a pause and do not stick your head in the sand absolutely thanks for joining me thank you 
Oh, I really hope you got a lot of value out of that conversation. And as we touched on a few times, the conversation with Kim was general advice, not personal. So if you do have an individual situation that you'd like to discuss, it is important to run that past a financial planner or finance expert. Now, a few things that I took away from the conversation, which I think are ones that we're going to want to remember, is to firstly stop and pause, and also to make it hurt. Make sure that you're conscious of those elements next time you go to purchase. Talking to myself here, especially with the Boxing Day sales. The other thing Kim touched on is to ensure that you don't put your head in the sand. You always have time to plan for your future, and that's exactly what is the key, time. Time is the biggest factor for any type of financial plan or budgeting strategy. If you would like to follow more of Kim, you can find her over on Instagram and I will be sure to put all of her details and reference points in the show notes. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.